In the heart of Astilla, a hunger is growing. A greedy empire sweeps over the land, devouring every god in its path. Every day, another story dies. But legends live on at sea. Beyond the reaches of the safe and sterile world promised by the Empressar, the ocean sings a siren's call. Freedom. Infamy. Wealth. A sailor might find some corner of fortune to call his own, if his heart is made of iron and his feet not made of clay, if he survives to tell the tale. For Astilla's oceans churn with oddities of every conceivable size and disposition. Merchants deal in shackled spirits. Rebels on rafts elude capture by veils of eternal fog. Meddling gods whip trade winds into hurricanes to disrupt the delicate balance of power between pirate lords. Giant squid stain the waters ink black with the blood of their victims. <laughs> Every voyage is a game of chance played against the fates. And every day, a new story of catastrophe is born. But not today. Today, our heroes got to work early. Hello, one and all, and welcome to a very special episode of Unbalanced Encounters. I am joined here in the studio today by two very familiar faces. Cinder and Craig, say hi. Hello. Hello. Hi, hi. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody went for ahoy. Nobody uh, went for ahoy. Ahoy is private. That's yeah. between us. Oh, yeah, that's, that's not for them. That was that was for me. That's and for Fender. us. <laughs> all right, all right. Don't Listen, I accept. Out. I accept. Okay, this is. You know what? I'll stop airing our private, intimate uh, uh, vernaculars. Yeah. yeah uh, <laughs> along with Cinder and Craig, I am joined uh, by a new face, a friendly face, a dare I say, handsome face, Ibrahim Cosmic Eve. Oh, How you, you doing? Avast, ye mateys! Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's a, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Uh, we are extremely glad to have you on the show uh, for what is something that, uh, in the in the manner of these bonus arcs, is a little different from what we do on the main show, uh, as I'm sure that you've guessed by our little intro monologue. We're doing a pirate story, boys. <laughs> Uh, so we are doing something uh, that is really out of step with uh, the rest of, of our bonus arcs. We are actually playing a completely different game system. Gone are the days of Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, at least for these next few episodes. Uh, and here in its stead is Rapscallion. And Rapscallion 
is a Powered by the Apocalypse game. Uh, for those who are not familiar, Powered by the Apocalypse games are role-playing games similar to, to Dungeons and Dragons uh, that all sort of live in the same family. Uh, one of the most famous ones is Monster of the Week, uh, which you might be familiar with from the Adventure Zone. Uh, they, they've played a couple of Powered by the Apocalypse games. I think that their Taz Dust arc was also uh, a, a PBTA game. Um but uh, it is it is it is a very cinematic and like narrative focused game in a way that DD sometimes is a little bit more tactical, a little bit more combat oriented, and so uh, it's this is gonna be this is gonna feel feel a little different. We're gonna feel like we're telling a little bit more of a of a making making a movie together uh, in a way that is maybe a, a little distinct from D and D. But Rapscallion is obviously all about making a fucking pirate movie, baby, uh, and. I, I, for one, am very excited about that. But we also have never played this game. It's actually technically not out yet. We're playing a pre-release version uh, that we <laughs> have managed to get uh, from, the, uh, from, from the author. We are jazzed about getting to play this and uh but but we also have absolutely no idea what we're doing uh and so we're going to be figuring this game out together as we play so if there is a little bit of us making our way through the rules uh, you know kind of on the mic uh, making our way through rules <laughs> reading them rolling <laughs> dice figuring out what do the effects things do <laughs> how many dice do i roll Actually, literally always two, uh, which is one of the nicest things about Power by the Apocalypse games. There's a dedicated answer to that question. Uh, the, the, the way PBTA games work is that you always roll 2d6, and you're trying to hit a 7 or above. On a 7 and 9, you get what's called a mixed success. Some things go well, some things don't. On a 10+, plus, you get a full success, and you're always just trying to add things to those dice rolls. So it's, uh, it's, it's going it's to feel a little different, but hopefully it's going to be fun. But um, yeah, we are... Good to dive in, and as you all had heard, our heroes have arrived to their job early. What the fuck does that mean? What the fuck was our cryptic narrator referencing? Well, the three of you find yourselves on a pier. You are in a town to the far east of Ostilla. It is a town that you are all familiar with, at least by reference, and one of our characters is familiar with very intimately. It is a town called Mare Sanctorum, or at least you're pretty sure it's still called Mare Sanctorum. That might be changing in the next couple of days, because as you have been made aware, Mare Sanctorum is under siege. Your job was to show up, take advantage of the chaos that a siege creates, get a drop for your captain, get home, nice and easy. The drop was supposed to occur at dusk, but you know, it's a little afternoon, you're a little early, it's fine, no big deal. Except that everything seems a little too quiet. The three of you were assuming that this would be a place of absolute chaos, that this city on the eastern coast of Astilla, this ocean-going, ancient city, one of the last remnants of the old empire, would be bustling, scrambling, with people trying to 
pull their belongings together and get out of town at the last minute with people trying to ship off all of their old artifacts, their libraries, their old imperial holdings before the forces of the Lord Governess Kawa were to land. But you're not met with that energy. Instead, you are met with almost a ghost town-like silence. And I think that the three of you disembark from your ship and make your way directly to where you're supposed to pick up the the drop, where you're supposed to get the, the loot that you're here for. And you knock on the door. There's no answer. Do it again. There's no answer. Try it. It's locked. Shoulder it a little bit. Seems to be barred. But again, you're a few hours early. So maybe they're just not in. Maybe if you show back up on time, it'll be fine. And with that in mind, part of the deal was that anything you loot out of Mare Sanctorum is yours to keep specifically. And so, we are going to begin our game with the first roll of the game. I need you all to roll me plunder. So I need everyone to please roll me 2d6, and you add to this roll nothing. That's a princely 11. Let's go! I also got an 11. Dang, y'all rolling well. Incredible. Treasure! To, uh, To keep us safe, I rolled a solid 6. Ooh. Oh, wow. We have two complete successes and a full miss. Okay. Uh, the three of you split up. Ibrahim, I'm going to ask you about your character, but in right before that, I want to get a little bit of scene setting here. I'm curious, in this town that is eerily vacant, that is quiet and desolate, and that the vast majority of doors appear to be unlocked and windows appear to be smashed, what kind of plunder would your character be seeking out? Where are we going for this first scene? Marv is looking out across the city streets, the broken glass and bits of debris and uh, wood and like upturned pavers, and he looks for the most princely estate he can find and beelines to their library. Incredible. Uh, So I think we actually find ourselves in uh, what would be an administrative building. And I don't necessarily think that Marv was aware of that, kind of climbing up this hill. But at its very apex, there is this round building, uh, terracotta roof tiles that sort of climb up into a marble dome uh, that have all of these little offshoots coming off of it. And it is completely abandoned. This building actually looks like it's been abandoned for a few weeks. Uh, There is an inch of dust on just about everything. Uh, The sort of entrance foyers have been picked clean. People have pried the like frescoes off the wall, that sort of thing. But you dive in and you make your way to the library and you find yourself in a richly 
appointed room, leather armchairs that are, while dusty, regal and resplendent, books and scrolls, tapestries covered in old imperial writing, and a form of writing, heavy air quotes, that you are at least passingly familiar with, runic magic. Ibrahim, would you please describe Mar for us? Yeah. Uh, Marvelous Marv Maribeth. Uh, Born to an unassuming family in a port town, Marvelous developed a love for books and stories from a young age. His hair is these long, uh, slightly graying at the temple locks uh, that he keeps in a uh, high ponytail up out of the way. Uh, He's got these thick, round pince-nez that are digging deep furrows into his nose. Uh, His dark skin is sort of a little bit sun bleached at, at parts like there's like a spot under his uh where a cap would sit that he is suspiciously light um uh, uh his his wide frame is kind of like uh he looks like an english professor at some hoity-toity university except he's a pirate <laughs> that's marv for you Uh, I'm curious, how is Marv feeling in this moment of like, oh, I was sent here to do some like heavy pirate shit, but, but you know, I got, I got a little bit of time to spend at a library, right? Like, (laughs) I think Marv is like, he's really excited. Like as soon as he walked in the door, he was like, what do we have here? And then immediately started like junking books that he was like, oh, trash trash this volume's garbage poorly researched like he's slowly creating like a pile of all of the books that he has discarded as like worthless and he's looking for the real good stuff incredible uh so you get to choose here uh from a list uh, as is very often the case in powered by the apocalypse games uh you get to choose either a weapon a strange object with mysterious powers an old and dangerous book or documents and letters you can use in a number of different ways. You get to pick two of those that you find. I'm curious which two you want to pick. Marv is a man who loves books. He loves books. He loves writing. He loves all things written. I think it's going to have to be the letters. Incredible. So you are wandering through this room, and it is, again, vaulted ceiling soar above you. Books go almost all the way to the top. There's a ladder that goes up to a second story, basically, a, uh, a you know, kind of a wraparound walking path where you can access the higher shelves, uh, where some of the... Uh, the scrolls kind of sit up in these little cubby holes. And I think that as you enter this space, you almost immediately see that somebody's notes are sitting on a little side table to, to your right uh, by one of these leather chairs. And you go over and you scoop them up. And you actually can't immediately make heads or tails of what they are about. The first sheet is uh, some sort of schematics for uh, a structure that you aren't 
super familiar with. There seem to be tubes and uh, distances seem to be very important. There are calculations kind of scribbled in the margins of this thing. But then you flip through and you get to, you know, another piece of paper and you see that there is a, a diary entry. Uh, it appears that whoever was working on these schematics was charged with extending Mare Sanctorum's sap supply some time ago. This individual appears to have been responsible for extending it. So those right away are the documents that you find. And then as you're moving about, you find, uh, you find a book and you kind of glance at it and see like, oh, like this is in a language that I'm not extraordinarily versed in. And you take a second to like, oh, this is old imperial. And you start to parse the title on the spine and then the building quakes with the distant thunder of some kind of explosion what do you do hell uh just take um, i'm gonna take the uh the the book and gather it and as well as all those schematics and papers and i'm gonna shove them into like a rucksack uh and i'm gonna sling that over my shoulder and head down to uh, uh to, the, to the to the ground floor exiting the building you slide down these stairs backstrapped around your chest uh run out into the streets and now you hear people Screaming. Chaos. Running. Scrambling. Smoke. By the docks. By the piers. Something's happening. Ah, uh, hell. Uh, uh. What did they get into this time? What did they do? I'm going to just start sprinting. The op- I, I imagine the opposite way of the like crowd of people coming this way. It it is it is chaos, right? Yeah, you're headed towards the. Some people are headed towards the dock. Some people are trying to head towards the the, the gates on kind of the inland side of town. Uh, you split through some of these people and just run toward the docks. And with that, we are going to cut. Cinder. Yes. What would your character be looking for in their hometown, newly deserted of, at the very least, its richest denizens? I think that for a moment, they would contemplate going to their old neighborhood. But as they are walking the, uh, the empty streets towards it, there is a, a twinge of something and they decide to turn. And this place seems deserted. Might as well go to the best place in town to get stuff. I'm gonna go to the most powerful magic user's estate that I know about, whether it's their arcane sanctum or their home. And I'm gonna go see what's going on at their house. You know exactly whose house to go to. And you know exactly where it is. The arcane sanctum of the of Magistry Offici Reginald Turping Neeming Laylord, the seat of the Magistry Council. 
has historically been the most powerful magic user in Mare Sanctorum. It's in part how he got his permission through that and a familial connection to the council. It's fine. It, you don't need to worry about that part. Uh, you know exactly where he lives. He lives not in the center of the wealthiest part of town, but off to its edge toward the far wall that surrounds the inland side of Mare Sanctorum. Again, situated on the hill, not terribly far from the court building that Marv would have made a beeline to, but a far less grandiose building. Much more kind of retiring, a sprawling complex of private gardens and entertainment spaces, uh, cloisters where he can withdraw with his inner circle to practice his runic magic. You arrive and have the run of the place. It is absolutely empty. You rolled an 11, and you get to pick two things from that same list. What are the two things that you are picking? I think I go for a strange thing and weapon. I'm curious as to, like, is this the kind of thing where you're wandering through sort of respectfully? Or if you're... Yeah, what is this... What is this... What does this look like? So Hogarth is a younger guy. He is in his early 20s, but his hair has very asymmetric patchwork of like parts that have gone gray um, that make him look disheveled even when he is trying his best not to look disheveled. Um, He wears a dark cloaked hood that's sort of cut short um and then hanging around his waist um sort of hidden behind the cloak are essentially thieves tools uh lock picks little bits of rope things like that um he has a uh, a very nasty dagger concealed in the front of his cloak that you can just barely see the hilt of on occasion and hanging from around his neck is a crow's skull that looks like it has been dipped in bronze and if you notice when he's walking there is like a very very faint bit of smoke just sort of wisping off the cusps coming out from under his cloak almost like like incense is being lit in his clothing and as he walks uh, through old Turpin's uh, estate um he is kicking stuff over, um, <laughs> and he is, like, tearing paintings off walls to look through secret doors. He is not interested in any of the shiny things that are ostentatious and front-facing, um, and is showing no amount of respect to, towards the grandiose nature of the house, and he's talking to himself constantly. I think you actually do come across a portrait of, like, himself right like he's got an official portrait of like him in his magistry of fishy robes like standing with like his scepter way too big right in kind of the center of a hallway uh and i'm, I'm curious as to how uh hoagie reacts to that oh look at me Big fancy magic man, house all empty, city all ruined. Oh, it would be a shame if someone 
slipped and then he'll like pretend almost like do a show for himself and like fall forward and like just like rake his dagger across the end of the painting and like peel it off um and then as he does that uh, uh a voice sort of emanates from the cloak and it just sort of goes like ee and uh, yeah, he's just talking trash about the place as he <laughs> as he walks through. Um, and then every now and then, um, something will say, mm, "Did you think about looking over there?" He goes, "Oh, that's a great idea!" And he'll sort of stumble in that direction. He's not drunk or intoxicated or anything like that, but he does seem almost more focused. He's like tunnel visioned, like he's he's just sort of wandering through the space, really not paying any attention to anything around him just kicking things over i think we see hoagie walk past this painting you know sort of tear it and then just keep moving and we see hoagie pass back and forth three or four times before eventually he stops backs up a couple paces looks left and realizes that there is a wooden plank immediately behind the parchment or immediately behind the canvas of this painting that does not look like the back of a frame. Oh, looky, looky. Let's see what you've got behind here, old Turpin. Um, and uh, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna grab one of his lockpicking tools and start trying to pry it open. It pops away, and you see a false back into the wall, where you find a gem encrusted. Scepter. It looks looks fancy. What do you think? I'm not so sure yet. Hmm. Take it for now. We'll check it out later. Shove it into his pack. The minute that it hits your bag, you hear an explosion from a few miles down toward the docks, and you feel the building like you see dust kind of it down from the ceiling you steady yourself and we didn't we didn't do that did we bomb was that us Mm, i don't think so but probably good to find the others okay and then he's gonna sort of scuttle out kind of quickly knock over a couple vases on the way out on your way out, you knock over a vase and you find uh, a long curved blade dagger that was like stuffed into it on the way out that has three rubies inlaid on the uh, the handle. Uh, that is going to be two harm, fire. Do you think Kind would like this? I think we would like this. We'll see. And you step outside to the hiss and bellow of erupting chaos as people take to the streets in full panic. Acrid smoke is the first thing that hits your nose, not the sweet balm of incense, but the burning, noxious scent of wood and plaster. And you see it emanating from the docks. Oh boy. Pick up the pace. (laughs) Craig, you rolled a six. On a miss, it sounds like you decide to hang around the docks. You know what? Let's do it. All right. Uh, We see your character 
just generally pacing back and forth in front of this building that you all were supposed to perform this pickup at. Uh, and to, to get a better visual of this building, I want you to picture one in an absolute web of storefronts shackled together. The buildings at these docks cling to the seaside cliffs one row deep and dozens of stories tall. Tenements sit atop brothels, which sit atop taverns, which sit atop grocers. Bazaars stretch across the third floors of several adjacent buildings connected by rope bridges hung from permanently open windows. Some more innovative landlords have set up baskets on pulleys for you to get straight up to where you're going, up these catawampus structures, and they are all dead silent. And I think we see you just kind of pacing, and I'm curious. What's going through Kine's mind? And if you could introduce us. Absolutely. Uh, Kind. A very large and intimidating figure standing around, we'll say, uh, six, six. Um, he is a furbog. However, in the manner of his face is more similar to a seals and so where a mustache would protrude you see those long wiry whiskers and his uh, fur basically is covered in this more painted like an orca except for across his arm and going down to his core you see a very strange printing of a tattoo that is kind of uh, similar to tentacles kind of gripping across his arm and body. Um, the reason you can see this is because 90% of the time, kind of shirtless. Uh, <laughs> rocking a vest, if anything. Um, with some sailor's, you know, uh, pants that he rocks with his boots. And on his waist side is this gnarly chain that seems as though it would, for anyone else, it would be a hassle to just lug around. But as he's pacing impatiently, you see him kind of like uh, using it as a stressor as he wraps his hands around it and pulls. Um, And the reason why Kine is so stressed right now is because he told the pups he would find them an interesting gift (laughs) on this voyage. And for the love of anything, he cannot find anything that the pups would be interested in. I think that you are making your way kind of up and down this row of buildings, this row of shops, and there is just nothing, right? Like everything is boarded up, every window, Every storefront has been, you know, has wood beams in the windows if the windows survive even a little bit. I'm curious as to, like, how is, how is Kind 
reacting to that. Oh, it's like it's like nobody's home. Hello? Oh, oh, they they're gonna kill me. Um, his big obsidian eyes are just trying to look through any windows or, or any. Hello? It, I'm here to steal your stuff. You know, respectfully. S- slamming of shutters ten stories up from where you're standing. Okay. Well, they didn't like that. Um, where did those two go off to? It, do I see anyone out, or are they just keeping to themselves? Uh, they are absolutely keeping to themselves. So if kind is if kind is doing a little bit of investigating in this moment, trying to figure out sort of not just where can I get some presence for the pups, but also what what is happening here, right? Like what is going on? I think that might be size up. Oh, that's size up. Are we sizing up? Yeah. Go ahead and roll me two d six plus vinegar. Oh no, it's not size up. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. If there's a way to roll a natural one in this game i just did it did you just get double ones i just got double ones with a negative one so that's a- incredible <laughs> all right that is a that is the hardest miss that you can roll in this game my friends uh on a miss surely there's a reason all of you are hiding from me on a miss you finally pull up to a window and put your face against the glass, you know, staring into the darkness, trying to let your eyes adjust. You see a conversation. There are two people shadowed almost completely and they're packing and you overhear, I don't like this, I don't. I feel like we might have missed the window. We should have gotten on the ship yesterday. We should have... Listen, there's nothing we can do now. We should just go. Come on, pack your things. We're going to get out through the top floor. We'll see if we can get out the landway. And as soon as you realize what's happening, you hear... (laughs) As the top of this building explodes. Debris rains down on you and I am going to give you a trouble I think this is going to be pretty straightforward I think on a one I am going to give you the frightened trouble I do want to talk about my my troubles because it's, it's asking me to do other things oh that's right you would theoretically be frightened here, but instead you get pissed. Uh, so you need to roll to resist your rage, your reaction. Uh, that's going to be just a flat 2d6. That's a four. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you are compelled to get violent uh, when your temper is set off. And I think we are going to explore that over the course of the next scene. Because Marvin Hoagie, you join each other in a crowd of people suffering through absolute chaos. 
panic in the streets and you sort of bump into each other in this crowd. And you are maybe a couple dozen yards up a hill from the docks of this city. And you're sort of overlooking it. The two of you collide into one another. And you look down and you see the smoke that you had expected rising from one of these buildings. You can now pinpoint the building that it's coming from. You can see the chaos has erupted down there as well. And you see fog blanketing the entire sea from the ends of the piers out. What did the two of you do? Hey, you all right? I'm all right. Are you all right? Yeah, did you find anything cool? Found some books and some letters. Uh, so did you find anything cool, though? <laughs> hmm. Where's Kind? <laughs> I don't know. I assumed he was going to be with you. This, did you, was this you? This was not me. Was this you? No, not this time. I, I promise. There's three of us. One of us is unaccounted for. I think that maybe kind did this. Well, let's let's not. You know, you're probably right. Um, <laughs> we should find him. Yeah. Yes. Uh, is the sun rising early? It is about dusk. This is about the time that you were all supposed to make the drop. So the sun is setting, and it's setting landside. Right. We are on the far eastern edge of Astilla. It, the sun is behind you. The fog is localized to the sea. It is rolling in like a sheet. That's not how fog moves. I don't know if that's fog. Let's go find Kind. Kind! (laughs) You all start tearing your way uh, through the crowd, and I think eventually make your way down to the docks, uh, where you see a very upset Kind surrounded by people and I think that they are of all shapes and sizes and I think that there is one person in particular who is in Kind's face. Kind, there is a Goliath woman who is about a good foot taller than even you. She is covered in runic tattoos. She has like a single knotted ponytail coming out the back of her uh, uh, otherwise shaved head. And she has just put a hand on your shoulder and leans down and says, Now I recognize a sailor when I see one. Where is your ship? You're getting us the fuck out of here. Uh, prior to that, Kine was looking through the window and obviously got out of the way of the explosion. Yep. Um, but in that, he turned and there was just a two-by-four lying on the ground. And at the perfect angle, he, he stubbed his toe. Oh. Perfectly. Oh no! <sighs> That's the fucking worst. And so yeah, and then that was when uh, this woman placed there just spins you around inches from your face, clearly willing to 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 to, to get physical with you. Now I. Oh god, my foot. Okay. I don't know who you are. But I need you to understand, I'm not in a good place right now. 
and I need you to take a few paces back, especially because your breath situation is a little harsh. I'm assuming it's from all the smoke in the area. <laughs> and we can figure this out in a more um, respectful way. If not, then we can deal with you not respecting my boundaries and, and touching me the way that you did. And he's just clenching the chain at his hand as he's saying this very calmly. Uh, Marv and Hoagie, this is roughly when you round the corner and see the top of Kind's head surrounded by people and the whole of this woman's head looking down at Kind. Uh, and she gets real close and says, We'll worry about boundaries. When I say it's time to worry about boundaries, now it's time to get the fuck out of the town that will very soon no longer be called Mare Sanctorum. Do you understand me? Which the both of you hear. Plain as day. What do y'all do? How many people are around? Kind of. There are probably a good dozen people roughly circling kind, but it is part of a moving mob of probably 200 people that have poured out into the streets at this point, right? So it's it's thick out here. I'm just going to look uh, to Hoagie. Um, I think we should get involved. You, um, you don't... You have an idea for how to play this. This isn't really... This is usually Kind's thing. The whole calming people down. Um, I mean, if we're trying to... If we're trying to do a little bit of a quick burst of something to get him out, I could ask Balm to help. I think that would be best. Uh, okay. Um, just, you know, remember what happened last time. Um, alright, little buddy. Um... And uh, 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 Hoagie's going to reach into his cloak and pull out this little, like, incense. It almost looks like a, like, like a, like a vestige sensor, like those old spinning, yeah. like the metal balls that incense comes out of. Except it's very small. It's like the size of a marble. Ooh. And it hangs on a chain that he can hold on, like, a, like that is on a ring. So he can kind of dangle it under his hand. And uh, Hoagie's just going to sort of wave it back and forth. Um, and, uh, I am going to unleash a mysterious power. Oh, shit. All right. Um, and what I would like to do is I would like to, uh, use, uh, using both my abilities to make an area strange and eerie, as well as unleashing mysterious power, I would like to summon Balm out to try to, uh, create a distraction that might freak people out enough that we can just get right. in there and grab, um... Grab kind. 2d6 plus Spitfire, if you would be so kind. I will. Hey, I'm kind. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get a lot of that joke, aren't we, Craig? That is 9 plus 2. 9 plus 2 is 11. 9 plus 2 is 11. Uh, <laughs> 9 you plus 2 is 11. That is a complete success. Uh, on a hit, it does what you want, but exacts a personal cost or surges out of control. It is Hokey's choice. I think it surges out of control. What does that look like? Uh, uh, the sensor that has that incense coming out of it slowly starts to billow more and more. 
and these it sort of seeps down to the ground like uh, like fog in like an old-fashioned monster movie and it turns into these like dark tendrils that spread out throughout the crowd and they curl up people's backs and start like coming right behind their ears and at the tip of each of the tendrils these little voices start to whisper and they just say ooh you know what you're uh, you're not that cool and that guy <gasps> behind you said that you are probably a little bit of a punk and maybe just maybe you should punch them before they punch you and and balm is going to instill violence in the crowd and basically get people to just start fighting each other around them turning and holding into a big brawl and it's going to i think get much bigger than just the immediate like five or six people that he was aiming for. I love this, and everyone immediately is just like, huh? <laughs> and just starts fist fighting each other, like knees into groins, right? Like head butts. Uh, there is wide scale panic. Um, and kind, you see that the woman who has her hand on you gets distracted for a second and turns to the source of what is whispering, you know, kind of newly whispering in her ear, giving you an opening. How do you want to use it? Um, would I know, would I know what Balm looks like? Oh, or yeah. Like, yeah, you guys would be familiar with Balm. Okay, so I know, I know the setup. So in that, uh, you just hear the clanking of chains that drop from his hip as he, like, holds the other end in his hand. Because I gotta get violent. Because I'm pissed. <laughs> Just to set everyone off even more, I would just like to um, kind of swing it to wrap it around the woman's leg. Mm -hmm. And then as I'm trying to lead, tug and then hopefully trip her up into the, the, the rumble and tussle and just causing more mayhem. This is absolutely going to be use a dirty trick, uh, but I am going to give you plus one for the distraction from... So go ahead and roll me 2d6 plus vinegar plus one. Hey, a success. That's an eight. <laughs> All right. A mixed success. Amazing. Uh, on a mixed success for use a dirty trick. All right. Your trick works. Uh, but there is a catch. I will tell you what it costs to follow through. So you whip this chain around this woman's leg and it just gets her in one. And you pull it out from under her and she, you, you start to tug at it and you see that she is going to fall into you. The catch is that if you want to get away, you're going to have to, you're going to be dragging her along with you, right? You've got her grappled now effectively. So you can do this and get her off her feet and get the upper hand, but you're going to, have to take her with you if you're trying to immediately get out. Is that what you want to do? I don't like this woman's breath. <laughs> well, I feel like we have some differences that we got off on the wrong foot, so yeah, she'll be she'll be tagging along. Alright, uh, she collapses into you. Uh, what do you do? Are you trying to get out? Of this space, yeah. If, if I see Bomb doing his thing yeah she's like all right come on love you you've been you want to get out of here let's let's get out of here 
Uh, she collapses into you, and as you're sort of dragging her out of this crowd, uh, she says, Oh, I didn't know you were into the kinky shit. All right, this is taking an interesting turn. Uh, <laughs> you drag her over uh, to Marv and Hoagie, who are just kind of waiting, like backs pressed against one of a ne- the nearby storefronts at the edge of this crowd. Uh, and she says, you brought some friends. That would have been wise of me to do. Uh, what's, uh, say you let me out of this chain? And she is struggling pretty hard now. Hey, fellas, uh, what, what are we getting into? What have you, what do you found? What are you getting into? Huh? And wh- what's going on with this fog? Also, bomb, c- calm down, bud. We're good. Yes, in a minute, we're going to make these guys fight a little bit more. It, it looked like you were having trouble with, uh, this person and their friends. Oh, hello. How are you doing? Uh, not, not, not bad. Other than the fact that we're currently under attack, uh, you know, I'm, I'm no trouble between friends. We're just trying to, you know, sort out our differences, a little lovers' quarrel. I was, mm-hmm. I was thinking, um, we have her them um, hang off the edge of our ship and enjoy the wonderful breeze and waves crashing against their face uh, on our way back home, if that was possible. Hmm. That's fucked up. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's that is that's kind of uh, that's like a lot of work unless you're trying to slowly kill them. I mean, it it's it's a it's a thought. I I don't know if I'm gonna actually go. You're gonna through like it, but hold food over the side for them. I I wasn't thinking about. It. I mean, there's plenty of fish in the water, so I mean, I'm really upset right now, and this is me trying to. Miss, can you catch fish with your teeth? I mean, if you if you want a demonstration sometime, uh, you know, you could get aboard your ship. I'm sure I could figure that out for you. You see that? She's very forward, and I don't know how I feel about <laughs> She's that. She's very forward. So, I'm very uncomfortable with the direction. Yeah, see, see what happened right there? Yeah. Hey, listen. I don't know what you did to my friend here, but I think that we all got off to the wrong... We all got off on a bad start. So let's... Let's make some introductions, some apologies, perhaps, perhaps from you to my friend for accosting them and touching them. Uh, my name is Marv. What is yours? Uh, Marv, if you could please roll me parlay. That's going to be 2d6 plus polish. Uh, that's a seven. Okay. So on a mixed success, they want you to do something for them first. Uh, she shakes her leg a little bit uh, and says charmed the name is sabrina now you can let me go and take me aboard your ship to get me out of here that would be wonderful uh and if you are willing to do that i will do whatever it takes to help part this crowd and get us out of here before before things go very very badly and as she says this you all finally kind of see a ship roll out of the fog. And it's not a particularly large ship. It is one mast, but the sail has been strung up and it seems to be moving by ore power. And it has something unusual at its prow. A cannon. Something that you all are relatively familiar with. Your ship has a few. They're pretty small. 
couple inches in diameter each. This one, feet in diameter. And you hear... (laughs) As a cannonball launches itself right past the hull of your ship and straight into the docks. This is a Kawa naval ship loaded to bear. What do you all do? Uh, instinctually, I would shield uh, Hoagie and Marv. A little bit of debris, pebbles and rocks and splinters from yards down this pier just shower over kind and bounce largely harmlessly off of you. Uh, but you do protect the both of them. So if you, I don't think you've used any bond yet, but hey, you'd refresh. Uh, and you just a spray of debris. And Sabrina goes, mm, running out of time, running out of time, running out of time. We, 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 should, we should go now. All right, did you guys find anything fun? Yeah, a couple of things, actually, but um, let's, uh, let's talk about them when we're yeah, let's, let's, on let's, the ship. Let's run in. Remember, you all have a drop that you were scheduled to pick up. Oh. <laughs> you got that kind? There you was got no the one out here early, and, and nobody was talking, and then the big explosion happened, and then everybody came out, and they were like, we want to fight you now, and then, oh, I, then I stubbed my toe, and it, 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 a, lot, okay. a lot happened. Well, it looks like we're not in a rush, exactly. Uh, the, the timetable has, has moved up. Uh, you all have not tried the building that you were supposed to make the drop at since the crowds have sort of poured out. It's about the right time for you to do this drop regardless. So there's an element of, like, you might be able to get this done beforehand. I'm going to look to Sabrina. and uh, We have something that we need to get before we can leave. If you help us get that thing quickly, you can come aboard the ship. Sound like a good deal? Uh, well, it'll have to be relatively quickly, otherwise we are going to die. But hey, it's better than just dying alone. Aye, aye, Captain! No? Nothing? None of you? All right. Um, we'll figure out chain of command later, shall we? Where is your drop? I do not like you. <laughs> of reasonable? Tis many a soul at sea that don't get along. To that building over there. We tried earlier, and we did not receive what we were supposed to receive. But now I feel like we can try a little bit less kindly. You see uh, that she pulls out uh, like two short swords uh, and is like, "Uh, no no, no problem, lead the way. Uh, Tell me where we're going and uh, everyone move out! Uh, And she clanks the swords together and just starts wading through the crowd like pommeling people with the hilts and so forth. You all have created a path forward. When she steps away, I'm going to look to Marv uh, and then to Kind. I I don't understand why we're taking her with us. No, we're not. We're definitely going to leave her on the dock. I was lying. Okay, okay, okay. (laughs) Thank you for clarifying. Let's go. Communication is key. Yeah. Uh, The three of you huddle up and start making your way uh, to this building and you arrive there in minutes uh with the help of sabrina and uh she takes up a position outside of the door and says is is this the uh is this the place the um the rock tavern this is where you were supposed to do your drop it is the place 
All right. Um, well, it's on the third floor. Um, I'll wait down here, if that's all right with you. I think it should largely be empty, and I'd probably be better wait, holding, the, holding the door. Shout if it looks like that ship is landing. Aye, aye. Um, in Marv's head, he is going to hear Balm speak to him. Mm-hmm. And Marv, you're going to hear Balm say, Do you really think it's a good idea to have her unattended? Now that she knows there's something useful you want, something important, perhaps you should tie her up or something. I'm not into that kinky shit, Balm. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, what's she going to do? Steal the ship that she still doesn't know which where it is? Well, she might have friends. Doesn't strike me as the type to have friends. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, Marv. Uh, you hear Balm kind of like grumble a little bit to himself, and then he sort of fades from your mind. Uh, the three of you make your way into this tavern. You wind your way up this interior staircase, and it lands at a door that is unlocked and you open it and it just leads to a rope bridge that goes to a different building and you follow this rope bridge into the next building climb through a window that then drops directly into a third building on the other side all with signs that say a works tavern pointed in this direction this is apparently just how people get into this establishment this place is a logistical nightmare. <laughs> oh, <laughs> absolute fire hazard of an establishment. <laughs> and you get in and you find a bar and it is a recognizable tavern. There is a bar. There are taps. The shelves have largely been cleared. There are a couple of remnant bottles of something or other kind of sitting up behind the bar. Uh, but it is largely empty. Except for one. Very old woman and she is sitting at a table a little hunched she's wearing you know kind of these vibrant blue robes that are clinging to her relatively thin form her hair is wiry and gray her skin dark and wrinkled her eyes turned downward looking at a milk crate it seems perhaps a wine crate of some kind a, a simple wooden structure made of slats not sealed in any particular way just enclosed and without looking at you she says well it took y'all long enough i was beginning to think you weren't gonna come you know how dangerous it's getting out here we were early well, why didn't you come up? <laughs> yeah, well, Ma'am, ma it's, it's a lot of ropes and, and wires and dangerous situations. But I am four times your age if I'm a day, and I got up here no problem carrying this here package. And you can't really see into it, but that seems to largely be because it's like stuffed with some kind of cloth, right? So I want you to, you know, again, I want you to picture like a milk crate or a wine crate. It's It's very like 
somebody took a bunch of pieces of 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 like you know strips of two by fours and tacked them together at odd intervals there's lots of gaps there's lots of knots missing out of it and you can see into it but it, you when you look into it it's like this white off-white kind of cotton cloth uh, as if something has been wrapped inside for protection so what the boss wanted more of i don't know but i imagine so and we flash back. These damn flashbacks. I can't hide from them. Flashback. I can't run from them. They're everywhere. A few days ago. The three of you are spending some time in your adopted home. A place known as Ship Wrangle Cove. Now, Shipwrangle Cove is an interesting place because it's really not recognized by any government in Astilla. And it's not really known by many of its map makers. It is a tiny little outcropping in the northeast coastline of the island continent, surrounded by brilliantly white cliffs on all sides, water gently lapping in from the sea, protected by the inlet. And along those white cliffs on the inside ring, the wreck and rabble of decades of accumulated shipwrecks hauled into the cove and remade into the small town governed largely by your captain. I'm curious, on your collective day off, what would the three of you be doing together? I think, I mean, if this was like a true day off, uh, maybe we'd be hanging out with, uh, with Kine's family. Ooh, a little bit of, a little bit of Barbie. (laughs) Getting into a Barbie. We, we see Kind throwing uh, some just like shrimp roughly the size of an American football onto this big charcoal brazier and just the doing the dad thing. Oh yeah. Uh, kind, if you would be so kind, uh, if you could please describe your children, please. Yes, the pops are we have my three beautiful triplets. We have Algie. She's the she's the shy one. She's similar to Kind's uh, demeanor of just kind of has a some of a seal face, but mostly an otter. And she puts her hands similar most of the time, uh, very close to her chest. Um, as she she probably is the one that leans more to uh, Uncle Marv and likes books and likes reading. Um, then there's Kelp. She is the she's the rambunctious one. She reminds me of me a lot. Um, she's usually hanging from something or crawling on something that she's not supposed to. Uh, she has the demeanor of a um. Just a just a little squirrel. She's just a little squirrel climbing all over the place. <laughs> just a little, little squirrely. Yeah. Um. 
and she's very loud. Very loud and outspoken. She likes for her opinions to be heard all the time. Kind of bosses the other two around. And then there's Coral. Coral is um the diva. She is the one who uh, takes after her mother a lot. Um, rest the soul. Uh, but she just kind of has a lot of tension with uh, kelp a lot. But at the same time, she's probably the the she is the eldest, so she's the the mother of the group, if that makes sense, or the the watchful eye. Um, so yeah, that's the that's the group of girls. They are very imaginative, um, as five year olds ought to be, um, and they get into their own little adventures and enjoy the trinkets that their dad comes back with. But yeah, that they're just they're just hanging out right now. Uh, I think we see um, uh, kelp specifically kind of run past and like bump into kind who does that like very dad thing of like exaggeratingly protecting uh oh, the grill. not near the grill not near the grill go sorry dad uh, give me just cutting through here. uh and she kind of runs between your legs and uh scurries up to uncle marv uh and says uncle marv uh i, I wanted to show you something um I, I i i i've been reading the book that you gave me on translating old imperial and she cracks open like a kid's like uh, little, you know, kind of thick paper that she has taken some colored, you know, chalks to kind of a situation. And you see that she has done uh, basically a sketch of the shrine that lives at the base of Kine's specific shipwreck, right? Like there, this whole area is connected by, um, you know, old staircases and bits of gangplank and so forth that form this uh, very Mediterranean kind of cliffside uh, abode. Um, and at one of the landings, there is a shrine to one of the prominent gods that is worshipped in this part of the world, the Blusterer. And it is pictured as having a crow's face, and the body of a very thin, almost skeletal man with these bird-like arm wings. Uh, and around the shrine are words in Old Imperial that are a small prayer to the god of the fates and the winds. And she has taken the time to translate that into the common tongue. And she sits down kind of nestles in and and it's like is this is this right is this i feel like this is the right oh. this is the right I, i'm not sure if i and she hands it up to you L let me see here let me see bar makes a big show of like taking out his pince-nez setting them on his nose <laughs> looking down at it like, uh, let me let me just take a look here oh this is amazing work you even got the participle oh that's incredible you know Translating from ancient imperial is an art as much as it is a science. You need to take attention to realize that sometimes the things that we say don't mean exactly what, well, 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 what the words would mean. Uh, there's a certain artistic license that has to be taken with translation, and you, you've captured it perfectly. Aww. Full marks. 
and she just sort of bounces a little bit and uh, starts just rapid fire showing you more of this book, more of her work and how she spends her time. And then the camera pans up uh, to uh, Algy, who is uh, literally climbing on Hoagie. Uh, and she has like scrambled up his back and she's just like, Uncle Hoagie, Uncle Hoagie, can I see the thing again? I want to see the, where's the smoke? I want to see the smoke. Oh, yeah, yes, listen, I'm, please, I'm just, I don't, okay, over, <laughs> down first, down oh. first. All right, okay, okay, all right, all right. How does Marv do this without yelling? I don't think Uncle Marv can yell. I've never heard him yell. Okay, but remember, Balm is fun, but also don't listen to things that he says sometimes. Are you sure? He comes to me in the night times and whispers funny jokes. Okay, wait, really? <laughs> Balm, is that true? No, it's not true. He does. I don't go into the. I've got bigger things to attend to than than a child dreams. He told me one time that I should go into the captain's quarters and tear down all of his posters. Well, yes, I did say that because that's very funny. <laughs> it's a funny thing to do. No, I didn't do it because I know that Dad would be Daddy would be very mad. But <laughs> <laughs> do you want me to do the thing with the pebbles? Eyes wide. Yeah. All right, pick a cup. Pick a couple rocks. Pick a couple rocks. Here you go. All right, uh, Balm, do the thing. Uh, and I'm going to use the power to make things strange or eerie, leaning hard on the strange. Yeah. And when she throws the pebbles up in the air, they just <laughs> go up. Just straight up. Just yeah, straight up. They, they just They just fall up. <laughs> she is just flabbergasted by this little bit of the arcane sprinkled into her every day. And it is against that moment of silence, that moment of calm, that you all see Aiden walking up to Kine's home. And Aiden, you would know, is... He's a couple rungs behind the three of you in the proverbial chain of command. The captain runs a pretty loose ship. There's not a very rigid hierarchy. But you all, the three of you, have developed a sense of of um, uh, seniority that has been cultivated over a number of jobs that you've done relatively successfully. That Aiden, who's a little newer to the crew and a, and a lot newer to sailing... Uh, doesn't necessarily have. And he is uh, a tall and lanky youth of about 18 or 19. Uh, He has, you know, sort of almond eyes, both in shape and color. And he has just this extraordinarily long, uh, you know, sort of very well-kempt dreadlock that pulls back and wraps around his chest like a bandolier. He just has it around him like as a length of rope at all times. Um, and he looks, in this moment, he he looks a little tired. Uh, dare you say, maybe a little overworked. Um, and he's he's kind of climbing the, uh, the stairs and he says, Kind, uh, 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 why the hell did you have to live so high up here? Gotta earn your time to hang out with with me and my mates. No, I'm not. I'm not trying to hang out. I'm just listen. The the captain sent me. He wants the three of you. He's in a meeting. He wants to talk to you about something. I think he's got a job. Oh, a sitter. So you know what that means, Aiden. Visibly crestfallen, just like uh, 
Um, yep. All right. Uh, any special instructions you want me to, I don't know, finish cooking or, uh, what's, what's up? Yeah. Just work the grill. The girls know what to do. Okay. All right. Um, and the girls are just like immediately switch into plotting mode. Like they move from this space where it's like, we're individuals with individual interests and we like harassing the adults in our lives. So like, we are a unit, we are legion. How do we fuck this guy's day up? Uh, (laughs) And Kai just turns to his girls first with a stern face to look like, you know, stern adult. And then he winks. Just a quick wink. Incredible. Uh, please, if you would, take a bond with your daughters. Absol- of course. <laughs> <laughs> Craig looked like he just accomplished a genuine life achievement when yes. he said, of course. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, I'll take, take uh, like a, a, a little flagon of beer and pass it to Aiden. Like, it's light, but. When you work in the grill, you got to stay hydrated. A hundred percent. Thank you. I appreciate that. The sun's killer today. Um, takes a takes a sip. It says, um, I'll, listen, I can't imagine that this is going to take a huge amount of time. But, um, you know, obviously you want to double time down there. Captain's like, you know, he, he wanted you there yesterday in that way of his. So we will. And the three of you make your way to the captain's quarters and the captain permanently lives aboard his active ship. Uh, He has the biggest three-mast ship that sits in the cove. It has been anchored for years. He has not taken it out to sea in quite some time. Uh, He has found it far more expedient to delegate the vast majority of his piracy in his old age, and his reputation has landed him in a situation where... A lot of the time, things just come to him, and he doesn't really need to go out into the world to steal and to plunder in the ways that he used to when he was spry and up and coming. And so he's very used to people coming to him, including coming to his ship. And so the three of you make it onto this ship that is, it is resplendent, right? It is, the banisters are immaculately carved and crew on a daily basis are out there washing and sanding and filing to make sure that all of the intricacies are perfect. And you all would be intimately familiar with the very geometric structures that wind their way around these banisters and in the woodwork all the way to the figure on the masthead a giant lizard. The three of you make your way into his quarters. You knock on his door and you hear (laughs) (laughs) says you can come in. And the three of you walk into a room that is absolutely buried in cushions and there are tapestries hanging from the wall these are relics in their value and their artistic majesty right like every culture every walk of life in ostilla is represented here uh the the biggest and most prominent are uh of tanin extraction with lizards that make up these intricate sort of repeating geometric patterns uh he is seated on the floor smoking a hookah and your captain uh captain 
Barnaby Windgulp. Credit to the Silent Bard for that character name. Thank you very much, patron, the Silent Bard. Uh, is a, a man that is collapsing into his own beard, right? Like, his hair just explodes off of him like the gods' own storm clouds. And he is just chilling in this pile of cushions, and draped around his shoulders is a a large and very old blue bearded dragon. Probably... Oh! Oh, five feet in length. He's just wearing it like a stole. And he says, And the bearded dragon kind of rolls her neck and says, Captain says it's good to see the three of you. Come on in. And he takes a big pull from the hookah. This here's Sherwood. He come from Mare Sanctorum earlier today. And you see where the captain is gesturing to. And you see a young man, probably in his late 30s. So, you know, kind of creeping into middle age. Um, and he has uh, brown hair and uh, this mustache that comes out off of his face about six inches in either side and then just like curls in and it's just like immaculately fucking waxed uh and at his feet is this really just like chonky 30 stringed lute he appears to be a bard of some of, of some description um and he says good to see you my friends my name is Sherwood how are you doing today Hi there. It's always a pleasure. Likewise, I'm sure. Captain here says that uh, you'd be interested in the bit of news that I come bearing from Mare Sanctorum. It's a day off, but... Kind looks to Marv like, where the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a port town. It's where I'm from. What's going on in Mare Sanctorum? Oh! You're a native, are you? Interesting. Well, it's been a while since I've lived there, but yes. I know how that goes, huh, my friend? Uh, and the captain says, <laughs> and gestures to cushions and so forth. <laughs> Just find a big, soft cushion to sink into. <laughs> and Sherwood nods, shrugs, says, All right, so here's the situation. I've just come from Mare Sanctorum. It is a pretty big city to the east. I'm pretty surprised that uh, uh, Mr. Kind was it. You're, you're not familiar with it. Uh, but um, they've fallen on a bit of hard times. Uh, it seems that their, their court of magistry, the magistry officii, have not done a great job standing up against the forces of the Lord Governess Kawa as she makes her way eastward. I have it on good authority that there is going to be a landing there in three days hence. Could cause quite the bustle, if you follow what I'm getting at. He kind of looks to all of you. What are we meant to abscond with, with the distraction? And the lizard just goes, Captain, please, I can just let me. <laughs> not, not the I'm just gonna give like a solemn nod to the lizard. 
and this lizard, who you all know uh, to be Bluebeard, who has been the captain's translator for your entire duration in this experience, uh, you know, your life on the seas, uh, says, all right, so here's the situation. Captain's got somebody in Mare Sanctorum what owe him a favor. Yeah? Somebody who owes him something valuable who says they're going to pay. Says they've got an opportunity to smuggle something out if we could send a crew to go get it there. Should be an easy drop. All you gotta do is get in. Before the ships make landfall, you gotta uh, get the valuable and get out. Straightforward. No problem. So you say no problem. And every time, Bluebeard, you say no problem, there's, there's usually problems. So I, I just want to make sure, I want to make sure... That you're sure that there will be absolutely no problems. Uh, the hookah pipe makes its way around to you, kind. Oh, thank goodness. I'm so stressed right now. <laughs> now, Whoa. I think the thing to keep in mind that is not information that they want to get out, you know what I'm saying, is that all of the official forces have long since abandoned Mare Sanctorum. They've all gotten the hell out of Dodge, you know what I'm saying? As soon as you say that, um, uh, Hoagie perks up a little bit. Mm-mm. You know, there's, there's quite a lot of valuable stuff in that city. Um, this is what I'm saying. It seems like it's a pretty good drop. If you all could do this little job for the captain, you might make out like bandits. Never mind the fact that the captain here is agreed to pay me a portion of what he has permitted for the good information. Of course, that's business. Hey, pass that here, kind. Yeah, sure, here you go. <laughs> Don't hog the Look. pipe, kind. <laughs> <laughs> Looking to Bluebeard, like, is this, is this, the, is this the, the honeydew flavor? What, what do we got going today? Uh, the captain has a new melon and apple situation that I think melon is interesting. Oh, it's got that's okay. what it is, apple. <coughs> Yeah, the apple is it's it, it's apparently exotic for these parts. I've, uh... That's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> Here we go. <sighs> right. Captain wants you to shove off first thing tomorrow morning. You get there in three days, and then by the dusk of the third day... You're going to go to a tavern, you're going to pick up this valuable object, and then you're going to screw your way back here. Easy enough. Kind is in the mode of dad who got a few minutes away from the kids, and he's on one of these pillows just laid out just completely. <laughs> and he just puts a thumb up. Our I.I. Captain should be simple enough. Without asking, uh, Hoagie's going to take the hookah pipe from Marv. Um... Yeah, I'm not even going to try to hold on to it. He's going to take a big inhale, sit back, and then when he breathes out, no smoke. Oof. Oof. Oh, very that cool. That is a fascinating trick there, friend. You're going to have to tell me how you did that. It was not, not a trick. Um, what do you think, Marv? To be honest, I think this would be a good opportunity to get some new things for your library, maybe. I was thinking the same thing. I think that it's a simple enough operation. We get there, we pick up what we need to pick up, we leave, perhaps we take a couple other things. With you being from the city and with my uh, (laughs) fortuitous 
uh, situation of being in possession of a map of the city. I think we'll make out quite well. Uh, and Bluebeard says, map of the city. Cap wants to see it. Mark, where you got to do the pickup? Of course. And I'll pull out this like old topographical map that's like, it's sort of, it's like, uh, sick. It's been fixed to like a scroll. Uh, so it is like, uh, it's in a little container that I have to pop open and then pull out the scroll and then like lay it out and unfold the little flaps. Uh, you roll this thing out on sort of the low table that the hookah is sitting on and the captain who is just this barrel of a man in billowing robes leans over himself uh and produces a, a, a you know a little stylus from uh from his robe dips it into some ink and whoosh, whoosh, scratches off uh the tavern that you three are currently standing in and at that moment having just been asked whether or not this is the right valuable to pick up the three of you realize you never asked what the valuable was that you were supposed to pick up. You know, I have no idea. I mean, it's the it probably is right. It probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, it's probably it's uh, sure. miss. Okay, oh, God. we need to figure something out. Uh, immediately. Miss, uh, this is Elevator. the thing that we're supposed to pick up, right? Well, I, I would imagine it is the thing that I have on offer, my friend. All right, we'll we'll be taking this. Are you going to be okay here? I'm going to give you an opportunity here to roll size up. I know this is not something that you're expressly trying to do, uh, but I think that you could roll a little bit of a low stake size up here to figure out whether or not she would be okay here. Yeah, I, I would hope that she'd maybe get to a ground floor if there are explosions going off. I, I don't know. <laughs> kind of stealing silverware in hopes that these are trinkets enough that yeah. his daughters will be uh, Actually, kind, kind, oh. if you could please uh, roll me... Um, you get the silverware, no question. Uh, I, I'm, I would actually uh, like you to roll me... Go ahead and roll me Twist Fate, which is 2d6 plus Spitfire. Spitfire, okay, okay. Size up is plus vinegar. Ooh, that's an 11. Oh, well, that, that's a 13. Oh, let's go. Nice, dude. Oh, shit. Hell yes. Whoa. Uh, Big twist rolls. Fate. Twist fate, kind. Uh, you actually get to inject something into this scene. Uh, you find something useful that was overlooked in this area initially. Uh, what is it and how will it help you? Um, how far did you say the ship was? Not crazy far. I mean, I you know, it's along one of these piers, so, you know, yards we're talking, right? Like, s far less than a mile. Let's say I'm looking around, and I'm going through the cupboards and everything. Yeah. And I find a type of um, grappling hook or zipline hook. Is that possible? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You find uh, a zipline hook, and you're like, oh, wait. What the fuck would this be doing in the silverware drawer? And then you catch a glimpse out of the window, and there is a zipline that goes straight down to the nearest pier. Well, the girls would love this. And it can get us out of here. Just into the bag. Uh, what was that size up? A 13? Mm-hmm. Incredible. On a 10 plus, you get to hold two. Uh, you are certainly welcome to ask any of the associated questions. What is the true danger lurking here? Where, where are there signs of hidden treasure? 
Uh, what strange secrets lie just beneath the surface? What here is useful to me or my crew? Or how do I safely blank? And again, this was sizing up this woman, uh, but mm. I will let you kind of extrapolate that to her interaction with the scene. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I think I'm just, like, I'm looking at, like, you described her as kind of, like, wiry. Yeah. Like, having, like, old woman wiry, wiry muscles, like, yeah. could probably fucking crush a marathon. Um, I'm just, like, looking at her, and I'm trying to think, like, yeah, you know, like, what strange she gets lie just beneath the surface, but, like, okay. contextual to what she got going on yeah 100 uh you ask her that question and she rises to her feet in a way that betrays no movement in her upper body and she shifts and you see that she is wearing a choker around her neck that comes to a point where there is a little bit of a bauble that has one perfectly cut sapphire right in the middle uh, now, I have a question for Marv, because I think of all of you, Marv is the one who may know what this is. How familiar is Marv with the Sisters of the Sapphire Sun? Hmm. Now, I feel like Marv would be familiar with the Sisters of the Sapphire Sun. I'm just going to give this to you because you are our learned boy. Uh, so... Uh, <laughs> You don't actually know a ton about the sisterhood, right? It is not something that there is a, a sort of body academic about for you to consume. Uh, however, you've been able to pick up little pieces of gossip in your travels, and you understand that they are an order, a monastic order, really, if you had to put labels to it, that uh. focuses on discipline, training, and manipulation of bond. And Bond is something that you're very fam- you specifically are very familiar with because you study it through the lens of story. It is the tethers that bind concepts and entities together in the material world, right? It is the framework of shared coexistence that everything builds with itself. And the Sisterhood, as far as you're aware, do this for political reasons, largely to help keep politics stable. Uh, that you have a couple of hints at that as an ideology, but not a lot of concrete evidence. So this this screams, hey, these are sapphire emblems, right? This is she. She seems like she might be part of the sisterhood. Ah, I think clocking that Marv is going to like quickly like change his tone and like put a hand over his heart and give like a little head bow. Uh, Why, thank you. Now, the three of you ought to get out of here right quick. Otherwise, you're probably going to be in a heap of... She shakes back and forth. Glasses and stuff rattle. Right. I suggest y'all leave through that there window with that there grappling hook. Uh, I have another exit planned. And she steps sort of back and punches uh, a panel on the wall. And it falls out. And she just, like, tucks herself into it and slips away. No, you sure you didn't want to hang out with the? Nope, she's gone. Uh, all right. Uh, she's too cool for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll just I'll I'll grab the crate and I guess like pass it to kind. How heavy is this? Sub ten pounds. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is um, kind of light not, actually. Not crazy heavy. Right. I'll give it a little shake. 
just to see if like there's anything in there that settles. I'm going to ask you to use your other size up hold on this one. Get a little bit of a spin on where yeah. are the signs of hidden treasure. Yeah, like, I think that's right. Wh what do I kind of feel like? Is it something kind of granular that's like shaking around a liquid something real solid no it's it's definitely solid it seems to sort of shift a little bit more like it feels like a very solid object it feels like an object that moves when you move the crate there's a hint of follow-through to that movement in a way that you are a little hard uh, to put your finger on why that might be right you know how like you spin an egg and it'll keep spinning kind of on its own. It's like when you're shaking a bottle of liquid, the inertia of the fluid gives you that second tap. There's just a little, there's a little bit more movement. There's a little bit of follow through to your, to your shaking, but no, no other information there. You, you are going to have to take the time to crack it open if that is what you want to do. Okay. Yeah. I think I'm just going to, um, if it's not too heavy, I guess I can carry it. I'll just, uh tuck it under my arm or no i have my sack i'll just if it fits in my sack i'll just put it inside the the same rucksack yeah do you all you're all taking the grappling hook down yep <laughs> incredible um i am going to uh just give that to you honestly that was such a good uh twist fate roll i'm just gonna give that to you you all slide down this is amazing. Oh, God. Wind rushing through your hair. Just. You guys hear, you quietly hear uh, Hoagie just saying, like, don't let go, don't let go, don't let go, don't let go. Oh, I got you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the three of you land on this pier. Your three docks are the cannon ship one direction, six from your ship in the other direction. So you're in between the two. Right? You land. Again, chaos everywhere. Uh, you've managed to totally lose Sabrina. So <laughs> that may be something that comes back to haunt you. We'll have to see. Um, no, it's, it's fine. fine. I did not trust uh, her. Yeah, she was a little bit too good with those swords. And the three of you see something emerging from the fog. The prow of a ship painted on the side K-N-S Natrum A mass Another mass and right on the prow of that first ship, a man, shaved head, square jaw, a little on the older side. He is wearing impeccably prim naval garb, pressed, the tails of his jacket flying around his hips, long leather waders, and he is leaning on a hooked sword as his ship begins to make land and another cannonball hits what is left of the Mare Sanctorum piers and you see this man look at where you came from 
look at the three of you because this was a very conspicuous entrance. Look at the milk crate. And I think very specifically because you're looking for this, Marv, you see a little blue glint in his eye. He recognizes something. Oh, gods. Get down! You all have the briefest window to react before they are about to make landfall. What do you do? Okay, okay. What is what is around me? Is there is there a torch or a fire? Is there anything that's smoldering nearby? There is a lot of fire. I would say there's definitely a torch on probably a pillar on this dock that would just be to light the way, uh, but also smoldering embers and and small fires are gnawing at this whole town at this point, but certainly at these docks. So you can get fire anywhere. Absolutely. Marv is going to drop his rucksack, ruffle through it for a second, and pull out an almanac with the uh, describing the weather patterns of Astilla, and is going to just flip through it really quickly and like almost like painfully as as he finds the page he wants tear a sheaf of papers out and throw them into the embers what weather effect are you trying to create marv is going to try to pull a, a stream of wind out from the heaviest fog out over the water and is going to pull that directly in front uh, uh, to the group here, obscuring us from the ship. Incredible. You burn this piece of paper, reach out to coax in this fog, and you specifically, Marv, take hold of the bond tying this fog to the shore and just give it a little tug. And the fog was not expecting this. It stumbles and trips over itself as it falls in front of the ship. And you see that it was being cast by the man on the natron. And it folds in front of him like a quilt. You all are heavily obscured for the moment. What do you do? We only have a moment. He's controlling it. Yep, yep, yep. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And he's going to scoop his friends up and just book it. This is a breakout roll if ever I've heard one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ooh. We're going to make Kind roll this one. If you guys want to roll, if you guys want to burn Bond to give Kind uh, benefits, you are certainly welcome to do that. I will spend one. All right. That's a plus one uh, to this roll. Kind. Okay. Plus one. And you said it uh, breakout? So it's plus blood. blood. Breakout is plus blood. Yep. So that's going to be a plus two to this roll. Why could it just be regular fog? That's an 11. An 11 is a full success, which is incredible for this. Uh, you get to choose one complication that you do get out. You choose from the following list. You suffer harm or mark a trouble. You run into an obstacle you didn't expect. You lose track of something important to you. 
or you bring something nasty with you. And on a full success, you get to decide which of these it is. That's fun. Do I want nasty or do I want an obstacle, guys? Those are those. I'll be honest. Those are the two that I was thinking about. Yeah. I think were the most fun options. I'm gonna too. I'm gonna roll that. Evens, uh, obstacle, odds, uh, nasty. That's a four, so obstacle. Okay. You all get picked up by kind. This towering fear bog uh, just pushing through smoldering planks and this crowd that nobody can see any of it because everything is blanketed in this thick fog and kind is just rushing through and just boom, 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 making your way to your ship. And you burst out of this fog. You see Aiden uh, is already untethering your tiny little ship uh, from the dock uh, and is like scrambling to get things ready for the three of you that that you figure he's getting out of here one way or the fucking other at this point. Um, You get up to your pier and a knife to your throat. You glance down. Shit, a short sword to your throat. Yup, that's what I thought. (laughs) Going somewhere, friend. Oh, ma'am, we told you to meet us here Mm -hmm. earlier. Mm -hmm. Why Mm -hmm. didn't you show up? Uh Oh, wait, you did. Great, Uh now it's time to go. (laughs) Let's let's get out of here. Uh That is a hoodwink roll, if you would be so kind. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. I will take that hoodwink. (laughs) Oh, that's a six. On a full miss. Oh, we love a full miss. Goodness. She shifts the sword so that the point is pointed at your throat. Reaches over. Takes the crate by one of its panels. Lifts it up. Interesting. Now, do you want to try that invitation again? She tucks the crate under her free arm. I'm going to reach into my cloak, pull out my little sensor with balm in it, and uh, it's very hard for us to see. But um, uh, Marv, who I think is, we're still like basically in physical contact with each other, driving us. Marv, you feel heat radiating off of me, like there's a little bit of like a like a cindery smoldering coming off like it starts to feel like it's like hot to the touch um and um you guys don't see this because it's dark but the uh the wisps of shadow coming off of the sensor coil up around me and form like a strange crooked mouth across my face and i'm going to use uh one of my dark powers one of my dark (laughs) magics fuck yes i can force someone in my sight whose name i know and we know this person's name to follow my next order (gasps) Ooh. Is there a roll attached to that? Yeah, I have to roll. Uh, I have to roll plus Spitfire. Okay. I have a thing uh, for bonds that I would like to use if I could help with this roll because I do have a bond with Hoagie. Yeah. Heart of gold. Yes. Lend them all your might. They get to add two to their roll when I give them a bond. All right. You will hear uh, Balm's voice kind of come out of my mouth. I don't know. Maybe. Uh... Why don't you put that down and go back to whatever you were doing before you met us? Before something bad happens to you. 
Uh, that's a three plus two plus two. So seven. That is a mixed success. That is not a complete failure. Ooh. On a mixed success, the power turns on you for one harm. So you do get to do this. Uh, go ahead and mark one harm because you do just take one harm from this. Yeah, I imagine that like my throat and face kind of get scorched as if I just like breathed in uh, like steam over a kettle or something like that, you know? Uh, she <laughs> drops her sword. What manner of sorcery is this? It's the kind to best just follow. She turns to kind and says, My friends, don't for a moment think I don't recognize those tattoos. I thought you were one of us, but you are trafficking in some dark acquaintances. And she sets the crate down and says, Very well. I have a feeling you three won't make it out of the harbor anyway. And she runs the fuck away. I'll, I'll never get used to that, Hoagie. That's... That was ominous. Uh, <clears throat> I need some water when we yeah. get on the ship. Yeah, we'll get some on the ship. <laughs> yeah. Aiden, Aiden we... get some water. Fellas, we should probably get out of here. <laughs> yep, we go run across the yep. gangplank and yep. I just toss it in the ocean. Uh, <laughs> the gangplank? Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. I thought, I thought for a second you meant the crate. I was no, like, no, yeah, I was a little confused. What, is, what, what direction are you taking um, us? As you all reach the deck of your ship and you are frantically trying to get this thing righted, and Aiden is sort of throwing the throwing the wheel. You're kind of riding the surf a little bit to 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 you know kind of get ready to put out to sea. Um, you turn and see. <laughs> All of the fog just vanish. And this man, who you can kind of see at a distance now, has this sword on his back, turns over his shoulder, barks some orders that you can't make out at this distance. And you see that his ship puts down oars and begins to reverse while the rest of them land. Kawa Navy pours into Mare Sanctorum. Everyone dressed in ceramic armor, pauldrons, helmets, chest plates. Volleys of archers send pitch-lit arrows into every building along these docks, and squadrons of men and women with swords and axes march up the hills to take what they believe to be theirs. You all have a beat to get ahead of the Natron. What do you do? I guess I would just get to work getting our sails up and making sure that we are moving as far away from the dock and these landing ships as we can. Okay. But I am going to look to kind just for like what? What? Why is that ship backing away from the dock. Um, well, you, you said it yourself, buddy. Uh, they know something that we don't, and it might have something to do with that thing you're carrying. We should figure out what this is. Once we're safe. Yeah, once we're safe. I will allow one more size up from anyone on the crew before we move to ships. 
well, as you guys are setting things up, um, Hoagie is like visibly strained and like taking a second to like lean up against like the wall of the ship and like catch his breath and drink water. Yeah, uh, Aiden is like like helping you get fresh water. It's just like running down to the cistern. So that was a four plus two for six. Um, my question is, uh, uh-huh. I have the move Lore Keeper, so whenever I encounter a new land creature or phenomena, uh, I roll plus vinegar, and then on a hit, the fates tell a story about it. Is this fog a unique phenomenon? I, you know what? I think that it. I think that it is. Um, I do think that because you failed on your size up there is going to be a consequence but i do think that it's going to be a relatively small consequence marv you dial in on this man and as you try to scrutinize him you have you ever had an aura migraine where once the world sort of seems to be through cracked glass and it's like collapsing in on itself in this really distressing, my brain simply will not process what it is seeing kind of way. Hmm. Hmm. I didn't feel like that. That's good. Yeah. Because that's what this feels like. It feels like you are looking at him through cracked glass. He is fractured and imploding visually in on himself in a way that you just can't get through to. You look away, and he is a whole entity in the periphery, but you focus on him to try to assess what's happening. And he stops being there. You are now frightened of this man. We have to go. We have to go now. All right, yeah, yeah, buddy. We'll get going. We're setting sails now. I will let you roll the lore keeper uh, about the fog, though, if you if you want, like, just to sort of, as a ritual, to calm yourself down. Is- that's a 13. I wish I'd had that oh. before, but <laughs> um, I'll take it, I guess. Incredible. Um, I don't know if there is really anything to obtain at the moment, but... Oh, um, oh but there is. Yeah. Is there? Okay. Uh, so I guess I would ask for a story about... I, I think it's going to have to be the thing controlling or driving it. Yeah, there it is. This this thing that I cannot look at without feeling like my world is colliding in, in on itself. Marv. You are a purveyor of folk stories first. The published narrative is almost always from the perspective of those in power. The stories that people know are the ones that are told by the person with the biggest sword, the person who has taken the most land, the person who has killed the descending voice. You traffic in the stories of the people whose voices have been stifled, and that is where you like to spend your time, but it is occasionally interesting, and it is often important to understand the perspectives of your oppressors. The Lord Governess Kawa is a rare force in this burgeoning empire in that her militaristic might has been largely naval. 
in a world where that is not typically the case. On an island continent that, ex that spans the known world, a navy is only passingly useful for managing trade routes. It's often faster to just cross the Great Plains of Agrivar to get to one place or the other. But she holds in her power a legion of wardens that are bound to the open sea. And it is rumored that one of their ships under the right control in the hands of someone with the appropriate oath may be able to summon these protective cloud fogs. It's not unheard of. Though it'd be a first for you to have seen it in person. Processing that, Marv's just the first thing that crosses his mind is that whoever is on that ship and whoever has taken that oath is impossibly powerful compared to like what should be occurring here to assault a city where the military is already sort of ousted this seems like heavy overkill and I think on, at, at that point, you realize something that is just fundamentally true about this situation, which is they are not seeking to conquer. They are seeking to eradicate. And I think that at this point, you are going through your bag and, and maybe you take the crate out and set it aside and take stock of everything just in a moment to breathe, right? And you look at the book that you pulled from the library and you realize that it is... Again, an old imperial. And calligraphy on the spine says, you translate in your head, a collection of first-hand accounts of the peoples of Mare Sanctorum circa 300 to 800. Roughly 500 years ago. I think I'm just going to place a hand across the cover of that book and just like lift it slightly and think about all of the history in the city that all of the people's stories and lives and connections and their very souls that are tied into this book and this book alone and how a huge chunk of history will go if this city is destroyed. And at that point, you hear screaming, chaos, fires burning as you pull your ship away just ahead of the Natrum. We are going to move to the ship's playbook now. Would any of you at your leisure, please describe to me the ship that has been given over to you for this job, the Lord Bethany. Thank you very much, Elderberry, for that name. You are a wonderful patron. Awesome. I think 
if I can take this advantage. Also, thank you, Elderberry. But I'm going to say that the pups named the ship. <laughs> yes, that's incredible. That's um, perfect. That's fucking and perfect. And across the hall, you see this gorgeous, um, like, kind of arts and crafts uh, painting of... What would what would three adorable girls paint across the side of a ship? I think it's a it's a bunch of just random stuff. It goes from like butterflies to to uh, the bearded lizard, um, and just things they see around home. Yes, absolutely. The blusterer, the the god, yeah, hundred percent. All the things that they would have seen. That's incredible. Uh, does anybody else want to throw in a description on this little one-mast ship that you all are piloting away here? Uh, 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 I'll describe, uh, yeah, uh, sort of, like, tucked away on, um, the, uh, I guess kind of in the hallway, because I don't think there's really any space for it anywhere else. Uh, below decks, sort of in the hallway, there's this tiny little nook that has been like carved out by Marv that has a little bookshelf that's sort of affixed to the wall with like this like fence that keeps the books from falling out while the ship is underway um and like a couple of chairs that have been like uh upholstered but like kind of sloppily uh in like just stuff too heavy full of uh full of down the the Lord Bethany it is like a patchwork ship almost so it, it it looks cobbled together there are lots of pieces that are like chipped and old there's or new where new boards have been put on and maybe don't quite align it is somewhat ramshackle we three know that in its before we were given this ship for this voyage it was a smuggling vessel there are secret passageways that exist within the lower decks that uh, connect the rooms that one can use to traverse uh, inside the ship sort of without being seen. You know, there might be just some fun stuff kept in some of those little hidden hidden compartments and passageways. Oh, and it's got really old busted cannons that still yes. work, yes. but like yes. are constantly on the fringe of breaking and might explode. The captain may or may not have spared several expenses for this job. Just a few. Uh, you all uh, are now in your ship, the bay that kind of surrounds Mari Sanctorum is actually pretty easily traversable, and there really isn't anything happening outside of this landing, right? And you are in this wildly advantageous position of there is no maritime traffic. It is totally clear that all of the ships that were landing from the, the Kawa Navy have landed. You have one that's pursuing you, but you have a straight shot out into open ocean. You have a straight shot out to hug the coast to return north toward home. You could juke and go literally anywhere else, um, but you, you have everything sort of playing to your advantage right now. The one downside is that you're a pretty small and agile ship. It looks like you might be a little bit more maneuverable than the larger ship that's kind of following you, the natrum that's pursuing you here. Um, the question is, how do you get away from it, right? Are you trying to outgun it? Are you trying to fight it? Uh, there aren't a ton of opportunities in the immediate vicinity for you to, like, get around a rock and just straight up outmaneuver it. Um, so I leave it to the three of you to tell me how you're planning on getting out of this situation. So as, as we're peeling off, um, just look, look to the crew. Uh, so what are, what are our options? We can, uh, we can try and 
looking at the massive ship. Fight it! Or... I like or better, if if we can. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily want to take that thing on head-to-head. Um, and uh, considering how it's Cow and Navy, I don't know necessarily if we want to, um, you know, hit it, sort of, b- board it? Is that a thing that we do? That doesn't seem like a good idea. Well, as... as, as well tasked as we all are i think that we might be slightly outnumbered um hmm. so probably running that's something we're probably very good at entirely i think running's a good idea yeah a very good idea we should run hmm. it's one of the best things to do <laughs> all right when uh, there's a problem involved yes any problems run away we have uh, a couple of different options for running away. We have two options for running away. We have escape, uh, which allows you to get away and allows you to control to where you go. But there's always a cost associated with escape. Or we have scarper, which is something that's specific to your ship playbook. Less of a cost, but you don't necessarily get to dictate where you go. You roll to find out where you wind up. Mm, that seems fun. <laughs> and I will say that I am not pulling punches. Like, we are in the throes of this at the moment. I am not pulling punches with the cost of this stuff. Like, it is going to be big. I'm feeling like we should scarper. I I like doing the scarper option, mainly because, in, in my assumption, if we take this other ship on steadfast, it's, it's going to be a bad day. Yeah. Um, I think we need to run. Yes. Yeah, okay, then let's, let's boogie. All right. Someone needs to spend a bond with the ship to Scarper. You I should can. all three have one. I'll spend a bond. Uh, Hoagie, you get to pick the cost, uh, and you get to pick the destination. Your cost options are you have lost vital cargo. You have left someone behind in the escape, or you find yourself in danger upon arrival. And then your three options for where you land are a bustling, busy port, a sleepy harbor town, and a mysterious, uncharted island. Who's on the ship other than the three of us? Uh, Aiden, and I think that's it, because we said we only wanted one lackey. Um, as, uh, as we begin to scarper and make our escape, a tendril of smoke is going to pool out from... Uh, my little incense sensor uh, slide unseen across the deck of the ship up over to Aiden and push him off into the water and we leave him behind and I think only I hear um, um, Balm saying bye bye Are we? Because we're running around trying to get stuff going. Yeah. Nobody else would, would notice this. I don't this. think I would notice. Oh, I'd be wouldn't. too scared oh up in the rigging of the ship. Oh, holy night. At least it's um, close to port, but still, that's terrifying. Uh, Hoagie, please take one bond with Aiden. <laughs> take <Wow>. one? <laughs> yeah. You get a bond? I don't think that's a good bond, buddy. <laughs> Push someone off the ship. Aiden. Gain a bond. Aiden will remember this. I didn't push him off the ship. Balm pushed him off the ship. Right. Yeah. Yes, right. Yeah. The bond. The bond represented here is by being aware of that fact. Yeah, we were doing too good. All right. Yeah. Holy shit. Um. Okay. Can I please get uh, your destination? 
Okay, guys, if I as a player am getting options, the guy who picked the crazy demon spirit class, um, uh, we're going to a mysterious Uncharted Island. That's hey, where we're going. You paid the bond for it. You all. <laughs> That's cool with everyone. <laughs> Undo all of the tethers, <laughs> whip around this deck. Sorry, Aiden. And kind, you <coughs> drop the mainsail, patterned in your children's crayon drawings. Yes, majestic. From edge to edge, and a wind <sighs> whips up and pushes you out to sea, and you begin to see the distance pull away from the Kawa ship, Natrum. And you make it out to open ocean where you all get to take a minute to breathe. And I'm curious as to who is deciding to open up that crate first. I think at this point, Kind finally looks up at the sail and it's the girl's best impression of um, kelp doing a little winky face <laughs> and, uh, and her tongue sticking out. So that's what oh, the- an emoji. Uh, what the uh whoever was chasing us saw as the sail dropped <laughs> that's incredible fuck me that's good uh i'll pop open that crate that makes a lot of sense uh, i think that makes a lot of sense because marv you were the one who had it uh and i'm curious as to are you taking this sort of below deck as you guys pull away or where what's the what's the context here it's it's about dusk now. It's after dusk now, right? Oh, it's 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 pretty solidly into the night. Yeah, you guys are, are navigating by a clear moon. I, I think I'll take the the crate below decks and yeah. um uh set it on like a, a table in the galley area. Um and grab, I don't know, uh just a, a knife that I have handy yeah. and just start popping up the nails on the crate. <laughs> You pry open the lid of this crate and see a little rustle in the cotton cloth just beneath its surface. I move the 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 whole crate squarely under the um the light from the deck prism above and slowly, carefully with the handle of the knife uh, so I'm holding the blade um, I start to move the cloth aside and a little hand reaches out wraps around your finger and the edge of the knife and shifts a little bit silently and as the cloth falls away you see a baby girl skin wine dark with eyes of brilliant sapphire 